Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. It says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, thank you for these words that you spoke while you were on the earth among us, offering rest to a weary people. Father, I pray today that we would receive that from you, that we would get a better understanding of what this says, what this means. Father, your desire is to change us and transform us and make us more like you. I pray that you would do that even this day through the power of your word. Thank you for this passage. Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. So I was studying through this, this passage and trying to figure out what topic to teach. And my wife said, oh, you should teach the last three verses. So I said, okay, because that's what you say to your wife. I thought I knew what these verses meant. Man, they're so packed. Most of you guys will never have the opportunity to come up in front of a bunch of people like this and teach a section of the Bible. And most of you are like, whoo thank goodness, because that sounds like hell. Um, <laughs> just in case you wanted to see the reference to heaven, have me do that, and I will know that I want to go to heaven. Um, but I challenge you in something. Grab a section of Scripture. Grab a chapter. Grab some verses that you really like and study them like you're going to teach them. Because I've been studying these three verses for the last three weeks, and I'm telling you what, I learn something new about them every single day. So much theology, hope, doctrine, truth in these three little verses. It's fascinating. So grab some verses that you like and study them. It's, you'll be blessed. You really will be blessed. Spend, if you spend three weeks on three verses, that's great. It's a good thing I didn't spend four weeks or we'd never get out of here because it's just a lot in here. So we look at this verse and what Jesus is offering is rest. And the first question I have is this, what is the most tired you have ever been? Because for me, the most tired I've ever been was on a bus in India. It kind of started like this. This is how the story started. The story started that my wife and I were plugged into the high school youth group, and the high school pastor at the time came to us and said, I'm thinking of taking some high school kids on a mission trip. Would you like to go? I said, yeah, I'd love to go. Where are you going to go? India. Stupid man. (laughs) It was an amazing journey, but let me tell you what, getting there was tough. So a few months after this original conversation, we all meet at the Rogue Valley International for some, it's not international, the Rogue Valley Regional Airport, four o'clock in the morning, a bunch of bright-eyed high school kids, a whole group of helpers, parents sobbing, asking me to protect their child from the youth pastor, these sorts of conversations going on. And we board the plane, and our first flight is to San Francisco. Now that's one of the best flights there is, right? Because it's like, up, ginger ale, down. It's awesome. Hour and a half. It's great. But from there, we flew to Chicago, which is four hours. And then from Chicago, we flew to Amsterdam, which is eight hours. And then from Amsterdam, we flew to Chennai, India, which is 10 hours. And I can't sleep on airplanes. I don't know why. 
Could have been the high schoolers. Um, and then we get off the plane in India, and it's midnight. Not that you know it's midnight. Like, have you guys ever traveled that far? Your brain is, if you walked outside, and it was bright sun out, and someone was like, it's four o'clock in the morning, you'd be like, okay, sure, whatever. It's, you're just, your brain's all messed up. You don't know what time it is. And India hits you in waves. I don't know if you've ever been to a country like that, but you get off the plane, and the first wave that hits you is just kind of the, the general heat it's 95 degrees with 85% humidity, and it's midnight. Okay, so that hits you first. And then the second thing that hits you was just the mass of people. You walk out of the airport, and it's just cars honking and people everywhere, and they're just pushing and pushing. If we were in India right now, we could literally put 10 times as many people in this room. 10 times, and no one showers. So, that's kind of the third thing that hits you, which is just the general aroma of India. Um, and it's, it's um, well, it's, it's like public outhouse at the city dump. That's kind of what's going on with the general aroma. And so they pick us up and they take us to the, to the hotel. And we show up at the hotel. It's two o'clock in the morning. And I'm sleeping in a room with eight high school kids. And, and you know, you open up the bathroom and you're like, that's, that's not a normal toilet. That's weird. Um, and then the, the sink had a drip, and there's no, well, you can't drink the water, obviously, because it's contaminated, but then there's no air conditioning. So the dripping sink kind of made the whole room have like a swamp thing sort of a, a vibe. Um, we didn't sleep well. And so we got up the next morning, and we went down for breakfast. I'm like, I need coffee. And there's no coffee. And then breakfast was um, lentils in curry, Right? You know, you guys know how much your stomach is super happy after traveling that much? And then the little lentils that go, whoa, okay. So, and then we got on a bus for 13 hours. And it was not exactly like I-5, okay? Because it's India. And, and the first thing you learn when you're in a bus in India is that the traffic, there, there are no traffic laws, okay? So I have this, this literally happened, I have this imprinted into my brain, we're going along on the bus and we're passing another bus. And coming the opposite direction is a dump truck passing a cement truck. And no one breaks and everyone honks and they all kind of miraculously go back into their own lanes at the last possible second. And I'm on this bus and I'm, I'm so tired and I'm so hot and sticky and just out of my element. You know, and the Indian music's playing on the radio. Oh, look, 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 on the radio, right? <laughs> and you're just, you're just, and then you open your eyes and it's dump truck, right? So you're, you're vacillating between like almost asleep and almost dead, right? It's just this back and forth thing. And then the, the, the road went through these little towns and they want you to slow down when they come to the towns. But I mean, why use stoplights when you have cement? Right? So what they do with the cement coming into the cities is they build these barricades, like one barricade like this and one like this. And the theory is that the traffic has to slow down to go through the barricade. That's the theory. Okay? Theory, slow down to go through barricades. And I have a video somewhere, and I wish I could find it, but I'm sitting in the back of the bus, and there's, it's all full of high school, and everyone is just barely awake and nodding off in their seats. And we're coming into one of the barriers and what the bus driver would do is he would slam on the brakes and everyone's head goes wham into the chair in front of him. And then he would swerve left to go around the barrier and everyone on the right side of the bus falls into the aisle. And then he would swerve right and everyone on the left side of the bus falls on top of everybody who's in the aisle. You want to be on the left. It's the key to the story. (laughs) 
Have you ever felt like that? Like not, not physically, but what I'm talking about is have you ever felt like life is a bus ride in India? Like I am just exhausted with this thing and I'm out of control and I can't get comfortable and I'm vacillating between just barely keep my eyes open and absolute terror and then when I finally feel like I find a little bit of rest, suddenly my head is slamming into the person in front of me and I'm falling into an aisle. You ever feel like that? Like life is doing that to you? I think we all do from time to time. Not quite that intense, but we all feel that way. What Jesus is saying right here in these verses is there is a reprieve from that available. You don't have to feel that way as you're going through life. You don't have to feel that out of control, uncomfortable, just soul-exhausted feeling. There is rest available. That's what these verses say. And what's so interesting to me as I started studying this is that what these verses offer is actually, actually two separate types of rest. Read this with me again. Here we go. Verse 28. It says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first rest is given, and the prerequisite is that you come. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest number two is found in being yoked with Jesus. Two separate types of rest. And so what I want to do today is look at both of them because they're both offered, they're both needed, and they're both something that Jesus wants to provide you with today. So rest number one, it says this, verse 28, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says this, are you, are you laboring? Are you heavy laden? Come to me, I'll give you rest. What he's not talking about is someone who's got a blue-collar job who's laboring or someone with a backpack that's heavy laden. What he's saying, you have to understand the culture of this time. He's talking to a people who all of their rules, all of their regulations, all of their ceremonies are surrounding one idea, which is this, am I being pleasing to God? Is what I'm doing being pleasing to God? To God. And if I'm not being pleasing to God, then I have to offer a sacrifice. And when I bring my sacrifice, I have to pray that my sacrifice is accepted. And if my sacrifice is accepted, I have to go out and pray that I don't do anything that's not pleasing again, or I'll have to bring another sacrifice. And it's this cycle, and they're just laboring, trying to please God, trying to be approved in His sight, wondering Am I approved? Was my sacrifice accepted? How does God view me? What's going to happen to me when I die? They're under this constant labor. And then on top of that, you have the Pharisees who are just heaping ridiculous rules upon them. So you have all these rules that they're supposed to do from God, and then you have the Pharisees just making up stuff like, okay, on the Sabbath, you're only allowed to take 24 and a half steps. Someone's like, what's a half step? I don't even understand. And Jesus says this, speaking of those Pharisees, it's Luke eleven forty six. if you want to take a note. He calls them lawyers, which I think is funny. He says, Woe unto you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens 
with one of your fingers. Jesus is talking to a group of people here who is just feeling the weight of trying to please God. And he's saying, bring that to me. We all feel that weight. We all feel the weight of trying to please God. Isaiah 59.2 says this, your sins have separated you from God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we carry that weight with us because our sin, it separated us from God and that's not what we were designed for. We were designed to be in communion with God and this separation and through our lives, if you don't get what Jesus is going to say here, you're going to feel this weight of trying to please God. Did I do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff? How is God going to see me? What's going to happen when I die? There's this constant angst and anxiety. And what Jesus is saying right now is you don't have to feel that way. Come to me. Come to me. Everyone feels this. It doesn't matter. And I think it's important for us to remember this. As we're out in the world, as we're talking with people, as you're sharing Jesus with people, they're under this weight and burden. Even if they don't believe there is a God, they're still carrying this weight and burden. Their soul knows that they're separated from where they're supposed to be. It doesn't matter if you believe in gravity, if you jump out of an airplane, right? Belief makes no difference there. Gravity will affect you. This is as sure as gravity. Sin separates us. And as we're going out and we're sharing with people and we're talking with people, remember, they're weary from carrying this burden. And what God says today, what Jesus says in this passage is, listen, I'll take that burden from you. I'll lift that burden from you. I'm going to take all your sin. I'm going to take it on me. I'm going to take it to the cross. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to wonder anymore. You can be absolutely clean and justified in front of God because of what I do. But there is one prerequisite, and it is that you come to me. Come to me. That's what Jesus says. And I think there's two reasons that people fail to respond to that. The first is unbelief. But unbelief most often is not an intellectual argument. Realize that as you're out sharing God's truth with people. Most of the time, unbelief is not an intellectual argument. It is a pride argument. I don't need a God to tell me how to live. If you're here this morning and you have an actual intellectual problem, question, theory, wondering about the Bible, about the truth of this word, I tell you what, you came to the right church. We have a pastor here who loves those questions, doesn't shy away from those questions, who says, if this is truth, then it's worth believing. If it's not truth, what are we doing here? And this is absolute truth, which means it'll stand up to questions. A number of years ago, he did this cool series called the Doubting Series. If you're curious, i I've thrown the poor people at the church under the bus because I'm sure they will not have enough copies of it after this, but they have some copies up at the church office, doubting series. They go through a ton of these questions. Unbelief keeps some from coming, but most often what keeps people from coming to Jesus is an unwillingness to leave something else behind. Because here's what it is. In order to come anywhere, you have to leave something else. In order to come here and stand in front of you this morning, I had to leave my nice, warm, cozy bed, right? Listen to the story of Jesus calling the disciples. It's Matthew 4, 18 through 22. I'm just going to read it for you. It's a nice little story. Here's what he says. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, 
Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What the disciples have to do in order to follow Jesus is they have to leave something else behind. Now, I always like Bible stories. I've always liked Bible stories, but lately I've been teaching the first through fifth graders on Wednesday night, and one of the things that I really like to do is explain to them, listen, these things really happened. The people in these Bible stories were real. These people woke up in the morning, they got runny noses, they had allergies. Who's loving allergy season this year, by the way? Thanks, Adam. Great. <laughs> like my throat has been so sore that, yeah, Adam, I'll get you someday. Um, <laughs> they had all these issues. These were real people. And I like to just kind of expound on the stories because I wonder if there were some disciples that Jesus called who didn't come. I'm going to call him like Disciple Bob. Okay, so Jesus is walking along. He's like, Bob, come with me. And Bob's like, okay, I'm going to come with you, but I, I, I really like this net. Like, this is my favorite net. I made this net. There was that time I caught that huge fish in this net. Like, can I bring my net with? No, okay. Um. All right, well, I'm going to bring my net with me, okay? And Bob's net is getting caught on everything. And you, wait up, Jesus, I got my... How many of us do that? How many of us do that? Because what Jesus is saying here is, listen, come to me, bring me your sin, bring me your mistakes, Bring me your brokenness, and I will give you rest for it because of what I did for you. But so many of us are saying, okay, Lord, but can I bring this with me too? I just want to, I want to hold on to this. I'm not talking about things we struggle with. Okay, because as you walk with the Lord, there's going to be things that you struggle with. Sins that we keep getting caught in, and God wants to work with us and partner with us and yoke with us and helping us conquer those. I'm talking about things that we're unwilling to give up. Jesus says, follow me. And you go, okay, can I take this with me? And he goes, no. And you go, then I'm not going. I'll go with you, Lord, but don't make me give that up. Don't make me give that up. That's the story of the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, hey, what do I do to follow you? Well, give away your stuff. I know how important it is to you. No, it's not worth it. And the rich young ruler lives the rest of his life in unrest. Because those things that we're unwilling to give up to follow God, they will provide you with nothing but unrest in your life. Angst in your soul. Uncomfortableness. Slamming into seats in front of you. Falling on top of other people. But if we give them up, if we're willing to give them up, then God offers rest. So the question is, what are you unwilling to give up? The relationship, sin, pride. If you carry it around, there will be unrest for your soul. But if you come to Father, if you come to Jesus and say, okay, I'm giving you all of me, all my junk, all my sin, all my mistakes, but I'm leaving that stuff behind. I want to go forward with you. Then what he says is, oh, you're clean. You're forgiven. You can have rest. 
It's the rest that comes from being completely assured of your eternal destination. You don't have to wonder how God views you. He views you as he views his son, perfect, forgiven. You just remember when you first understood grace like that? When you first got it, just that restfulness, like, you mean, you mean I'm, like, none of that stuff, God forgave it all and forgot it. Wow, that's restful. Wow, that's restful. And if we were immediately raptured to heaven, then it would be great, right? If it was like, oh, I come to you, forgive me, I feel completely at rest, boom, rapture. But the problem is we're stuck here for the rest of our life. Do you guys get this? Earth is a life sentence, okay? That's how it works. And so Jesus offers a second rest to us. This is your daily rest, This isn't the rest from knowing where you're going when you die. This is the rest in your day in, day out life and routine. Here it is. It's verse 29. He says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's what I find so interesting about this verse. When I figured it, not, I didn't figure it. When I read this in a commentary, I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that because it made so much sense to me. Here's what Jesus is saying Are you burdened by trying to please God? Yes. Give that up and come with me. Now, if you want to stay at rest, it's time to get back to work. Stop working to please me, start working with me. And what I'm convinced of after three weeks of studying this and mulling this over and praying about this and looking at it in my own life is that. Personally, and I would say as Western culture especially, we don't rest well because we don't work correctly. Rest and work are tied together. And what do I mean by work? By work, I mean something that I wrote down on page two. By work, I mean the sum total of all your labor. Okay, this is your job, this is taking care of the kids, this is your volunteer duties, this is ministry, this is community involvement, right? This doesn't include like the hour on Wednesday night when you watch The Voice or whatever you do. It's the rest of it, when you're laboring. Jesus says that if you do that with me, there's rest available through it. Rest and work are completely tied together. And then the second thing that we have to know about work before we move on is that work was part of the plan. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and he gives Adam a job. He gives Adam a job. Work was not the curse. Work was cursed. You get that? So he creates Adam, he gives him a job, he says, Adam, go tend the garden. Now, how do you think that worked its way out? Do you think Adam just went out there and just innately knew how to do everything in the garden that he needed to do? Maybe. I think God could have done it that way. I don't think that's how it went. I think it was Adam and God out in the garden working together. And God taking Adam with him and showing him how to tend the garden. And I picture God just being excited because, remember, he made this for Adam to enjoy. So they're out walking in the garden together, and God says, Adam, Adam, this is a pineapple. Okay, I know it's kind of spiny on the outside, but it's awesome. You've got to try it. I made it for you. Okay, and here's how you take care of it. Okay, and this, God, God, Adam, this is a, this is a kiwi. Okay, it looks, it looks kind of fuzzy, right? But you cut it open, and it's, okay, and this is how you care for a kiwi plant. And then they're walking along, and, and God says, okay, Adam, this is an artichoke. And Adam's like, that has got to be the tree that's cursed, right? Because... 
God goes, no, 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 no. Here's what you do. Okay, you take the artichoke, cut the top off, turn it upside down, steam it, pull off the leaves, scrape them with your teeth, dip them in butter. Delicious. How else does man figure that out? Right? Unless God explains it to Adam. Okay, so you dip in the butter. Could I dip it in mayonnaise? You could. Be super gross. Mayonnaise is after the fall, okay? (laughs) But that's how I picture it. I picture God and Adam together. That was the design. And sin broke that. And what Jesus says in verse 28 and 29 is, I'm here, I broke sin. Let's get back to the original design. You and me working together. That's what you're made for. That's what's going to give you rest. But we work so wrongly in our culture. I work so wrongly. And here's what I see. Three things I want to touch on. We work for the wrong people. I work for myself. So it's, trust me, I'm working for the wrong guy. Work for the wrong people. We work for the wrong reasons. And we work with the wrong attitude. We work for the wrong people and we work for the wrong reasons first. I wanted to teach those as two separate points because I like keeping things very systematic, but they're so interrelated that you can't teach them separately. Who you're working for will determine why you're working and why you think work is important will determine who you work for. Flip back to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna look at this. Start in verse 24, okay? Most people think of verse 24 as a singular thought, and then they read verses 25 through 33 as a separate thought. You miss something if you do that. These are combined. Verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, okay, now verse 25, he's saying, because you can't serve both God and someone else, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I'm this guy. Because here's what he's saying. You can't serve both God and money. And what is this guy doing? What is this guy laboring for? He's working for what? Okay, I need clothing, I need food, I need shelter. And because I'm 
because all my labor is bent towards those things and making those things slightly nicer and slightly better, and I got to have those things, I'm constantly worried in case I lose them. And how worried are we as Christians in today's society? We're just running around constantly worried. Oh my gosh, what if she becomes president? Like, that will be the end of the world. Might also be the end of the world. I don't know. Um, like, what if the economy collapsed? What if my business goes under? What if I lose? What? And then the question I had to ask myself this last week, or the one that God really challenged me with, is what if? What happens? What if your business collapses? What if the economy goes under? What if it, what's going to happen to you? I'm going to lose my house, lose my car, eat more ramen, right? Might have to move in an apartment. You know what's going to happen ultimately? I am going to be less comfortable. That's what's going to happen. If all these things that I worry about happen to this guy, to me, as I'm like this dude, what happens? I'm less comfortable. And I realize that I spend so much time and so much effort working towards my comfort. I'm working for me, working for the wrong reasons. And you know what, you know what creates? Worry, anxiety, stress. Man, I, that, that customer's mad at me. And, what if, and then they, they spread and then the rumor goes around and then no one wants to come to our business. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, oh man, I'm going to be so much less comfortable. I'm going to be so much less comfortable. Was Jesus concerned with that? Uh Uh-uh. I think we're working for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying those things are bad. Jesus doesn't say those things are bad. He says they're great. In fact, he invented them. Look what I did for the lilies. Look what I did for the birds. This is good stuff. Just don't make the bent of your life towards making those things, getting those things, holding on to those things. Those things will come. And if they don't, eh, you're not going to starve what is Jesus about? Flip back to Matthew 11. It's verse 27. It's the verse before we dive into this thing of rest. It says this, all things have been delivered to be by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Let me unpack that verse for you a little bit. Jesus came to this earth to do two things. The first thing he came to do was to conquer sin and death, to take all of our junk to the cross and die substitutionarily in our place. We don't partner with him in that. He's got that one covered. Thank goodness. I don't want to be, I don't want that part. But the other thing that Jesus came to do was to point people towards the Father. So how can you understand God? I'm going to come down. I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to be with you so that you can understand my character, my nature, that I'm meek, that I'm lowly, that I'm loving, that I'm forgiving, that I'm kind, that I'm accepting, that I'm welcoming. Jesus is constantly pointing people back towards the Father. That's what he says. Hey, if you know me, you know the Father. That's my goal here. I'm supposed to point you back to God. Because that's who I work for. Even as a little kid, Jesus got this. He's 12 years old. His parents can't find him. They're looking everywhere. They find him in the temple. The dad's mad. He's like, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I had to be. This is what I'm here for. Don't you know you have to be about your father's business if you want rest? You have to be partnered with Jesus. Doing what? Showing Christ to people. 
showing love to people, showing God to people. And here's what this does. For me, at least, this lets me completely reevaluate my definition of success and failure. And that's so freeing because success is no longer the promotion, the success, the bigger house, the nicer car, the accolades, the acknowledgement, the reputation. That's not success. Success is being able to come to the end of the day and saying, did I show God to people today? Did I show him his love? Did I show him his character? Did I point people towards Jesus? Because if so, that was successful. That was successful. Colossians 3.23 says it like this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I always thought that verse was very challenging because it is. But what I'm starting to realize is that verse is very freeing. Ever had a really bad boss? Ever been fired? Jesus looks at those situations. I had a really bad boss. She, I, I, she decided she hated me when I was about a foot and a half in the door. I didn't even open my mouth, day one. And she just made my life miserable. And you know what I was? Miserable. Because you know who I thought I was working for? Her. And you know what I was, thought I was trying to do? I was trying to work for her so that she would pass along to the company, so I would get a raise, so that I would get another job, get a promotion. I was just beat down, tired in my soul. Tired in my soul. You know, I didn't get, my job is not to make her happy. My job is to show Jesus to her. Should I be the best employee I can be? Absolutely. That's part of showing Jesus. Should I work really hard? Absolutely. That's part of showing Jesus. But my success is not based on whether or not she likes me. My success is based on whether or not I think I showed her Jesus. It's an entirely different way of looking at work. It's an entirely different way of looking at life. It's so freeing because it doesn't tie us to all these things that weigh us down, that stress us out, that give us unrest. Did I show Jesus to this person? Did I show him with him, partnered with him? Here's the thing. It's really hard to do that. (laughs) It's really hard to do that. And here's why. The second half of this verse is interesting. It says this. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest from your souls. This is not two separate commandments. He's not saying, in order to find rest, you have to yoke with me and learn from me. He's saying that in order to yoke with me correctly, you have to know this about me. You have to understand this about my character. I'm meek and I'm lowly. And in order to work correctly, we have to get that. I'm not really big on quotes, especially long ones, but I have a long one from Spurgeon because Spurgeon wrote an entire sermon on rest. And if you find something that Spurgeon wrote, you you don't try and say it better. You just read it. So this is what he says about this. I find it so fascinating. I'm going to go slow because that's what I like to do with quotes. It says, if I go forth to labor for Christ without a meek spirit, I shall very soon find that there is no rest in it, for the yoke will gall my shoulder. Someone will begin objecting that I do not perform my work according to his liking. If I'm not meek, I shall find my proud spirit rising at once and shall be defending myself. Or I'll be irritated, or I'll be discouraged and inclined to do no more because I am not appreciated as I should be. A meek spirit is not apt to be angry, does not soon take offense. 
Therefore, if others find fault, the meek spirit goes on working and is not offended. Man, we got to learn that. How do you learn it? You partner with Jesus. You're yoked to him. You're working together. You're looking, oh, okay, that's how we do it. Okay, that's how we... Read, study him. Watch how he responds to people. It's so beautiful. It's so challenging. It's so, so wonderful. We have to get this meek spirit in order to work correctly. Paul says it like this. He says it in Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Here's what this verse says. Jesus, who is God, didn't find it a bad thing to come and be a servant. Therefore, you, who are not God, should be okay with that also. That's what this is saying. And so often, as Matt likes to say, we want to serve, but we don't want to be a servant. We want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged. We want to, I don't want to, that, that job's beneath me. Every job here was beneath God. What he's teaching us is serving other people. It, it's not beneath anybody. It's the highest calling there is. It's the highest calling there is. And if you make that the focus of the labor of your life, and that's, that's good work. That provides rest. It's so freeing. The other thing that I think is interesting about Jesus' ministry when I look at it is there were things that Jesus didn't do, didn't get done. I find this fascinating. Okay, so Jesus came to make the blind see, right? To heal the lame so they could walk to cleanse the leper. But you know what there still was in Israel when Jesus was gone? Blind people, lepers, people who couldn't walk. Why? Because Jesus knew, I do what the Father puts in front of me. Whew, that's freeing. What about the the customer, the client, the person who's upset at me because I wasn't there, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, I didn't... Did you show Jesus to him? Did you show Jesus to the person who was in front of you? It's a good job. God says that's good work. Be restful. That's good work. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Rest and work, so completely tied together, so interesting to me. I want to close out with just a a small list of questions that I've been mulling over about work. First is this, do we think more comfort equals more rest? All right, have you guys noticed that there's something weird going on with the mattress companies right now? There's like an advertisement of what is going on with the mattress companies? Like every day I see multiple advertisements for mattresses, and here's the overall bent of it. Your life is awful because your mattress is lumpy. And if your mattress was super soft, everything else would line up. Do we think that we'd be more restful if we were more comfortable? Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, spiritual rest is altogether independent of circumstances. And it is a vain idea of ours to suppose that if our circumstances were altered, we would be more at rest. Man, I so, spend so much time trying to alter my circumstances. Jesus says, that won't give you rest. Change your attitude. Change your reason. That's where rest comes from. Yeah, but what happens when I fail? I'm supposed to show Jesus to people. What happens when I, because I can look back at my day and be like, okay, I showed Jesus to them. I tried to show, I did not show Jesus to that person. That was, that was definitely not Jesus, what I showed that person. What do you do with that? You go back to the first rest. 
You come back to the Father and you say, I'm sorry, I blew it, forgive me. And you know what he says? I'll take that burden. Don't carry that around with you. I got it. I paid for that sin. Let's move on. Let's move on. Do we confuse rest with leisure? Like rest is something to be looked forward to. Like, okay, I'm going to do a trip to Hawaii in the fall and then I will be at rest. No, that's leisure. Rest is offered every day, every moment. Do we confuse supposed to do with called to do? Sometimes I think we do this. Sometimes I think we're doing things that God didn't call us to do. Sometimes I think we're doing more than what God called us to do. There was a legend in the early church, I think this is fascinating, that Jesus, as a carpenter, made the best yokes in all of the region. And what I read is what makes one yoke better than another is a really good yoke maker would design each yoke individually for the oxen it was supposed to fit. This ox has wide shoulders, so this yoke has to be a little bit wider. This oxen pulls a little bit more forward, so I'm going to design the yoke a little bit more tilted down. Jesus has a yoke designed for you to partner with him. You know, at the end of this verse, it says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What that literally means is my yoke fits well. doesn't mean it will be easy to take. It doesn't mean you won't be exhausted. It doesn't mean it won't be hard or uncomfortable. It means it fits well and I'll be on the other side. Do we have no rest because we're not working? I had a conversation with JP. I always like talking with JP. He had great, great things and learned awesome things. But we were talking about this young man, and he was taking him, and the young man had never seen a good example of work. Father wasn't involved, and he's talking to this guy, and this young man says, man, I just can't fall asleep before like one or two o'clock in the morning. JP's like, you play video games and drink energy drinks all day long. Like, Come with me tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., we're chopping wood for a widow. You know what you're going to do tomorrow night? Sleep. <laughs> you will rest. I guarantee it. I think sometimes we're not resting because we're not working. We're not partnering with God. How about this one? Are we too busy to labor? This is a saying that my mother has that I like. She says, Satan knows he can't do anything about my salvation. So the next best thing is to keep me too busy to be effective. Are you too busy for people? I can be that way. I'm so busy, I don't have any time for people. People's the point. People's the point. I think Satan's got our culture on this one. He loves it. I'm just going to keep them busy. They're Christians, I can't do anything about that. But man, I'm going to keep them running around like this. They, They won't even be sharing the love with anybody checking the emails, right? Here's an interesting one. I, do you find rest in your marriage? I don't, I don't even have time to go into that one, but this was just an interesting thought that came my way, okay? So I haven't, I haven't delved into this completely. I'm sure this could be an entire sermon, but just for those of you who want to take something home and chew on it for a little while, chew on this. We have this verse that we love. We use it in weddings all the time. It's Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a three-cord strand is not quickly broken. Great verse. Very true. And we use it to, to talk about marriage. And the idea is that if there's three of us, we got Jesus, we got my wife, we got myself, and we're all kind of twisted together. And we're just kind of, so we're strong. It's a good picture. 
It's a good picture. But I take this verse here that says that we're supposed to be yoked with Jesus, and then I take another verse over here that says that when you're married, two become one. And I wonder if the better picture should be me and my wife on this side and Jesus on this side, and we're yoked together and we're moving forward trying to show people his love. I wonder if that's the better picture and would provide marriage rest. Well, I'm not married. I'm single. So here's a question for you then. Do you think you're going to find soul rest in a soulmate? Because you won't. Do you think you're going to find soul rest in a soulmate? And here's what I want to tell single people. There is nothing more attractive than a person at rest. Young ladies, there is nothing more attractive than a young lady who knows who she is in Jesus, who knows who she is created to be, and who is at rest in that isn't trying to be something she's not, isn't trying to to accomplish all these things in life. She's at peace with who she is in God. That is so beautiful to a godly young man. And if he doesn't get that, he was the wrong dude. It's so attractive. Young men, you know what's attractive to a young Christian lady? Laboring with Jesus, restfully working together with him not trying to be something you're not, not bent on success or this car or those rims or this. No. No. You're not going to find rest in those things. Finally, this. This is the question I want to close with. Is security a prerequisite for rest? Because here's what we do. Okay, once I get my school loans paid off, once I get the house paid off, once I get that 401k to this certain point, once I get to my retirement, once I have all that stuff set, then I can be at rest. Is security a prerequisite for rest? The answer is yes, but none of those things bring security. What brings security is the rest of verse 28. The security in knowing that God took all of your sins, all of your burdens, all of your labors on his back on Calvary, and you're 100% justified in front of God. That security is a prerequisite for doing the second part correct. You have to get that. You have to know who you are in the Father. You have to know you've been clean and forgiven. You know what else I think you have to do? I think you have to remember it. I think you have to come back to it and remember it. I think that's what we do at the table. We're going to, we're going to, eat of him and drink of him. And what are we going to remember? We're going to remember that he took all of that labor and all those things I was heavy laden with, and he took them to the cross so I could be at rest in him. We have to get that. We have to remember it. We have to revisit it. And we have to share it because it's so needed to a weary, weary, weary culture. Amen? Amen.